Hey, this is Baird. Hey, this is Kaz, and you are listening to Two Broke Watch Snobs, the only watch podcast that demands you stand and deliver, choose your money or your life. You have made it all the way to episode 182. Everyone welcome TBWS contributor Baird, who's joining me on the show. Baird, what up? Say hi to the nice folk. What's happening? Such a professional, Kaz. I don't know how you do that every time. (laughs) (laughs) I practice. I practice in the mirror. I take off all my clothing. All right. I stand in the mirror at midnight and I just say it over and over again. And I look at my own eyes in the dark. Well, yeah, that's the great thing about the podcast versus the writer's room where you don't I don't have to be seated the whole time. I can just pace around my bedroom. Pace, nude, dude. N- nude, except for my watch. If I wanted to. <laughs> Which if anybody if anybody who is listening to this knows me personally, that's a terrible image. And I apologize. Uh, you know, apologize for that. Oh my god, that's so good. But yeah, so so thank you, Bear, for joining me on episode 182 of the Two Book Watch House podcast. Michael is unable to join us this week, and originally, uh, so every every single one of you motherfuckers listening at home has to send mad props and mad thank you to Bear, because literally up until about maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago, I don't know, time's a construct and we're all just living it. I can't really know how long, but either way, an unreasonable amount of time ago, I had decided that I was going to do the show solo, and I was going to thrust upon you people at home another hour and a half conversation about Soviet watches, which which no one, which no one wants. Soviet Soviet watches as a podcast episode is like toast for dinner. It's like yeah, I can have toast for dinner, but like fuck, dude, can I just have some? Like, can I enjoy what I eat? You know what I mean? Let me tell you, since you've been doing all these Soviet watch podcasts, a guy, a friend of mine at work Mm -hmm. was on eBay doing the same thing, looking up like old Soviet watches. I was like, if you want to know about Soviet watches, brother, (laughs) let me tell you, I got three hours of Soviet watch talk to listen to. There's this guy, Kaz, he's got Asperger's and he just lets it all fucking go on air. Just talking. Listen here, comrade. <laughs> Sylvie watches the main podcast topic. It's like the bread line of watch podcast topics, like pun intended. It's just like, man, like I know I'm gonna eat, but uh, this is not very sexy. But but so that was gonna be the case. I was gonna do, I think, the history of Pabetto watches, which I can inflict upon you kind or logical folk later. Um, but this is actually gonna be really, really cool. Baird uh is jumping in. Last minute, he's joining me. Everyone say thank you to Baird. I'll give you one potato. One <laughs> Uh, this is actually going to be a little, really fun, to- fun topic. So episode 182, uh, we're recording this on July 5th. And so um, in the spirit of you know July 4th celebrations, even though across the U.S. right now, I think it's pretty difficult with everything that's going on um, you know, politically and also with the virus. It was hard for people to celebrate. We didn't really want that to deter us from doing a topic kind of in the spirit of the 4th of July sort of independence weekend uh baird and this is all baird's idea we thought it'd be super cool to do um like an american watch discussion so talking very casually about american watches which is which is a topic that folks don't really you know get into that often so pre-courts crisis post-courts crisis and then you know the current state of of american watches um and baird you made the point that like as a neurological force, America, I mean, it was a force to be reckoned with. And then obviously the 60s and 70s, all, all that went to shit. But I think it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you know anything about wine, Bear. Just to be candid between the two of us, I don't know anything about wine. My wife knows things about wine. And we were talking about this stuff about scotch. That kind of counts. I don't know if it counts in this case. But like in, in wine, like the old world wines are the best wines. And so in old world wines, it's stuff that comes mainly from like, 
from Europe, specifically it has to be from Europe, and it's mainly due to age, but my wife and I were talking about age and wines and old world wines, but they make wine in Mexico. They've been making wine in Mexico for 400 years. Isn't that insane? But it's not considered an old world wine because it's not in Europe. Let me uh, let me tell you something. I didn't know this until recently, not to get off the topic of wine, but you know, corn has been domesticated for 9,000 years. I did not know that. Like I think that might be wrong. Somebody's be like, it's only 4,000 years. It's pre-Christ. <laughs> corn corn was domesticated in the United States or in the, in the United States and in Mexico and South America thousands and thousands of years ago. It started off as grass. Can we, can we just say the official slogan of today's episode is corn is pre-Christ? I don't know why. It's so metal and like silly because it's corn, but it's pre-Christ, which sounds pretty metal. Corn is pre-Christ. That's right. All right. Um, but yeah, so in the spirit of that, we thought it would be interesting to just dig into American watches and sort of this legacy of American watchmaking that folks aren't really necessarily in tune with, uh, even you know here in the in the states. So episode one eighty two, American watches pre courts, post courts, and the current state of affairs. That's a very long topic name, which I'll I'll, I'll pare down when the actual thing goes live. But here, let's do this, Baird. Would you? We we have to. Even though Michael's not here, you and I have to hold the fort. Would you like to honor? tradition with me would you like to do an audio wrist check with me absolutely i assume you i assume you 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 went to your safety deposit box and you got the patek the patek i wish if i listen if i had a patek philippe line around here somewhere i wouldn't be working at my normal job (laughs) or you would be you'd be like you'd be like mike lowry from from bad boys from bad boys one like with the michael bay film before they got crazy where like he's got all this money but he's a cop because he loves being a cop you know what i mean yeah i guess i mean (laughs) i i like i like my job but i don't love working for chrysler all that much so right it's I like don't. if I had a Patek Philippe, you just trade that sucker in and go, I'm in the stocks now, bitch. <laughs> Walk away with it. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I manage my own wealth. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, right. that sounds fucking nice. What's that like? <laughs> I traded a Patek Philippe for this house in five acres. <laughs> oh, my God. But here, let's, let's, our tradition, let's do an audio, audio wrist check. Um, I'm talking way too much as usual. Uh, do you tell everyone at home what you're wearing. Give me the rundown. Well, I didn't wear an American watch today. I have some on the table, but okay. um, I'm still wearing, uh, if, you, if you're if you on Patreon, on our chat, Slack chat, Patreon, or uh, if you're on Instagram at all, which I haven't posted a lot on Instagram, but I'm wearing a uh, uh, the Mito Ocean Star tribute uh, in the Mediterranean blue, the one I wrote the article about back in February. It was so cool. And again, like I said in the article, the whole watch is polished. So that clasp is starting to show some definite wear, which is fine. That's what they do. Some people can't get over that, but, uh, you know, it's just like a car. If you're going to drive it, it's going to get some dings and I don't buy cars or watches to put them in a box Mm. and let them sit. So cool. But yeah, I, I, I love the blue on that. I remember when I was reading it, the polish thing, for me, would be something hard to get over because not even just it showing scratches. I'm just not a super polished watch uh, person. You know what I mean? 
Right. It's it it does look and like I said, it gives it almost a look more like jewelry than it does a tool dive or anything right. like that. Like the bracelet on this thing glitters <laughs> like a disco ball at Studio Fifty Four <laughs> in the sun. Uh, but it is I, I don't know. I, I really I really like this watch. Uh, you know, it is really cool. When I first when I fr I wanted it so bad, and you can't see these things in person, so I bought it from. G Namon watches or Namon watches. I never yeah. know how to say the fucking website. I just say Namon. It might be. I think the G is silent. I think you're probably right. But uh, uh, um, but it got over here, and I didn't know if I'd like it. But I, I really do, man. The size is size is good. The heft's good. It does come with another strap if I wanted to to wear it. But I, I like that kind of disco ball sort of sheen. That bracelet <laughs> reminds me of an old uh, pro plof. Omega. It's like a mesh. It's like it's like a mesh bracelet, right? Yeah, kinda. It's it's the they're big links, but there's there it's it is sort of like uh, an old, uh, an old mesh. It's pretty cool, but that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's what I'm still wearing today. I don't wear it a lot. I don't, I don't wear it to work all that much because it it'll probably take some hits if I wear it to work. So right. Uh, usually wear it when I'm at the house or something. The mesh bracelet thing is interesting because I've seen mesh bracelets where in order to size them, you have to like cut it. I had one like that. Um, wow, I and now I regret selling it, but I had a Bostock Amphibia 090 oh, wow. <laughs> and with the 090 Tonneau case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a new one. And uh, funny enough, the case was not polished. It was bead blasted, but it was a, um, it was a newer one right. and I bought it new, but I, the bracelet, you know, the bracelets on them are kind of junky. Um, wow. So I put a mesh bracelet on it. Bought a 22 millimeter shark mesh bracelet, and yes, I had to cut the links out of it right. uh, to get it to fit. And like a dumbass, I did it holding the bracelet in my naked hand and trying and cutting the links with a Dremel, which works right. fine, but it gets really hot. Right. <laughs> oh my god. I was like, this uh. is a stupid idea. <laughs> That's totally crazy. Uh, hold on Let's one second. Hey, babe? Yeah. Everything okay? Gotcha. Okay. Everything's fine. It's all fine here, babe. No, no, no killers on the loose or anything. No killers. No killers on the loose. <clears throat> I didn't realize you had uh, you had one of those 090 modern amphibias. I did. And I, I, I just, I wish I hadn't sold it now because, uh, like I was telling you and before the clap, I have mm. a friend that now is starting to get interested in Soviet watches and I wish I had it now to show him, Hey, this is what you're getting into. You know, if I you're mean, used to a modern yeah. watch, this thing is, this is what you're getting into. Yes. The crown is wobbly. Oh yeah. You know, yes. There absolutely is no quick set date except for running it back to nine and 12 <laughs> and nine and 12 and nine and 12. So, but it, you know, that was kind of the appeal to me was that they were still making this watch yeah. that was pretty much just like they were making it in the fifties and sixties or yeah. I mean, time. we did an episode. Oh God, I don't remember the number, but we did an episode that was me just basically just saying the entire history of the Vostok amphibia. And one of the reasons why I think modern Vostok amphibias need to get more love is that if you want a vintage dive watch or even just a vintage watch, but you're afraid of buying something actually vintage and having it fall apart or whatever, Check out the Bostock Amphibia because it's it's the way they've basically been making it since uh, the the watch debuted in 1967, 
it's basically the way they've been making it since since then. It's the same compression sort of style um, water resistance function that it actually uses. It has the same decoupling stem, which is why the crown feels like it's busted when you unscrew it. I still get emails. I just bought a new Vostok Amphibia and the crown's broken. It's like, no, it's just your perception that's broken. It's supposed to, you've yeah. joined the broken, the, the broken crown club. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine, you know? Yeah. So I yeah, mean, the Vostok Amphibia is a fun one. That's a fact. Like, you know, if you think you like vintage watches, I do. I, I fool around with a lot of vintage watches because I love to buy broken ones on eBay and try to fix them. Nice. But, uh, you're right. You know, that's a perfect example because when you get into vintage watches, you're like, why doesn't the date click over? Cause it just <laughs> fucking didn't back then. They didn't have that technology. You know, they the watch cost $4 back. Right. Then. Oh my God. I love it. That's so cool. No, I didn't realize you had one of those amphibious. Super and fun. I, I sh- yeah, and I sold it and I wish I had now because like, you know, like I said, somebody's interested in, getting into that and you know like it's just in this part of the world in east tennessee it's just not something you're going to run into in a store well if your buddy's got questions you can relay them my way i did i pointed them straight to three hours of soviet watch talk (laughs) more than anyone ever wanted (laughs) hey comrade you need you need watch i know exactly where to go i know exactly where you need to go man too good, <clears throat> but yeah, that Mito is super cool. You, I, 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 I love every time you do a Mito piece for the site. You were basically the Mito Mito guy. You just did. I haven't. I'm working on it right now. You just did the presser for that Mito uh, Ocean Star GMT, dude. How crazy is that shit? That's a good looking watch, and I don't know if you, if you, uh, it's a little bit bigger than the standard Ocean Stars, but I, I think when you read it, you'll realize that I think that I, I'm kind of like as much as I love vintage watches. I love watches from the 60s and 70s. Like, I'm almost now at the point where you're growing tired of seeing everybody just redo something old. Oh, yeah. And this is a, you know, Mito doesn't really have a lot of GMTs in its history. Yeah. So this one's kind of, you know, it's it's based on their new Ocean Star line, which is, you know, their modern design. And... um it does have a little bit of swatch DNA in it. Uh, if you look up like a Certina DS action GMT, I think it is, mm-hmm. you'll notice that the, the way they do their uh, dial layout with the GMT flange is very similar. But, uh, but still, this is a modern-looking watch, a modern GMT. You know, it's not something that's been around for 40 years. It's, I think that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm really starting to get that way about watches. Um, it's kind of like Porsche. I love Porsches, but they all mm. kind of look the same, you know. <laughs> the Porsche uh, DNA. I remember Jeremy Clarkson talking about how their, uh, you know, the uh, Porsche's design team just pretty much just redid the last car just a little bit better. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't really have to work all that hard. But you know, I, I, I don't like too modern, but I do like to see some original stuff come up. So I think yeah. that's, that one's going to be kind of neat. There was also in that presser, a beautiful limited edition. Oh shit. Uh, I got to see that. I'm still, God. I'm still working through it right now. Oh my God. They had three watches in there. One's a nice little ladies watch, by the way, it's beautiful. Um, nice. But there was a limited edition. I think it's a Baron Shelley uh, collection. Oh. Watch. Less than seven millimeters thick which Shit. is the thinnest for a Mito. It's not automatic. It's a winder, 
but I have a Gruen Precision 510 that looks exactly the same from the 50s. Just normal stick hands, seconds wow. at 6 o'clock. It is absolutely gorgeous. We got to get Mito some more love. I just don't get it. I think I think people still see Mito as like the like one of the mall brands, which is just. I mean, obviously you've addressed it in your pieces. We've talked about it on there. <coughs> it's unfounded in my. Opinion. And the, the thing about it is, is like I don't know what mall they're going to. They don't carry them anywhere <laughs> around here. I, I do see Tiso, you know, as far as Swatch is concerned. Yes. See Tiso a lot. Uh, see, obviously. Uh, um, see a lot of citizens and malls and things like that, or at least the, like like Macy's and stuff over here. Right. You know, so cool, so cool. Uh, here, let's do. Oh fuck, I have to, I have to do your my watch check. I got, I got to do my, my my goddamn wrist check. I'm so if you're on the TVWS Patreon Slack channel, I've been posting this because I've discovered an interesting strap combo. Uh, recently, I am wearing uh for this episode episode one eighty two to watch on my podcast. I'm wearing my Orange Star Diver, the RK AT zero one zero six E. I still haven't thought of a nickname for this thing, <clears throat> but the Orange Star Diver. But I'm wearing it on. God, I don't know where I found this. It was just in a box of NATO. Everyone, every watch collector has a box of NATOs in the back of their closet that they're just aware of at all times, like a tall tale heart. Like, I just have a box of straps in my home. I don't know what to do with it. Um, but I had a seatbelt NATO, like a herringbone weave NATO in that box, and it's like gold. <laughs> It's like a dull. It's it just it just I feel like an asshole just even. But it just it's like a dull gold color. And I was going through that box, and uh, I saw this strap, and I'm just like, oh shit. Let me see what happens if I can put this on my Orange Star Diver. Like that thought just entered my head, and like, I love it because my Orange Star Diver, the RK. Well, if I had to write this number down, RK AT zero one zero six E limited edition. It has this teal dial. It's a black bezel. It's a very deep teal dial, like a very deep jewel tone teal dial. Uh, black bezel, and uh, it, it was on a bracelet before, and the bracelet is surprisingly fantastic. I think here in the States, Orient and Orient Stars kind of get shit on because, like, oh, the bracelets are crap, or, like, oh, it's just, like, a quote-unquote shitty Seiko. Um, and in some uh, instances, the bracelets usually are bad. Um, they're not a shitty Seiko. It's a totally different brand. But in the Orient Star models that I have, I have the GMT uh, reference WZ07-0071DJ. That bracelet on my Orange Star is incredible. It's also JDM. Um, and the bracelet on this Orange Star Diver is incredible. This, I believe, is also JDM. Uh, but I took it off and I put this NATO on, and it's it's actually really cool. Did you see this thing on Slack? I did. Um, what are your and, thoughts? Am I crazy? No. Um, I'm going to give a really unpopular opinion here. Let's, let's I, do also, it. I also have a box full, uh, a drawer full of NATOs, <laughs> and it's because I don't like them. Um, ah, you're like Michael. Like, Michael. Michael hates NATOs. I like the way they look, like on other people, and right. I love the way they look on certain watches. Um, I, con I have a Hamilton, which we'll talk about later, that I constantly want to put on a NATO, but when I do, I'm like, this is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever put <laughs> I'm a I'm a leather rubber and bracelet person yeah but i have nothing on a nato not I, one thing i don't like natos sometimes because they they depending on how depending on how your lugs are dipped in relation to the back of your case if your lugs dip further than the back of than the, the like the the, the 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 case back then it's okay but if they're not then your watch sits on this like three or four millimeters of just extra random material and that yeah. i don't that i'm not a giant fan of i think it's i think for me like it just uh 
I don't know. It's it, it, they the way they cut into my wrist kind of when mm-hmm. I'm doing certain things. Like they have no flex almost, and oh uh, uh, yeah. And I don't like it. I don't like a NATO loose. But I'm one of those people whose wrist falls between hole one and hole two, and I refuse ah. to punch another hole. So right. it's either going to be a little loose or it's going to fit right or a little tighter. And if that NATO is tight, man, it sucks. Yeah, I can't do I can't do NATOs loose. I have to put them tight because a loose NATO is super weird. So in that in that sense, I do totally get why. Just comfort wise, it just doesn't work. So huge shout out to anyone else that doesn't like NATOs. You don't have to like NATOs, right? But that Orient, uh, Orient Star, I've never seen Orient Stars in person, mm-hmm. but that thing looks like if you look at the Mito I'm wearing and the watch you're wearing, that thing looks like you spent $1,000 on it. It's really, it's really super cool. Yeah. This Mito does not look like I spent $1,000 on it. <laughs> uh, oh, because because so, so do you get the sense because of maybe like, the polishing, because I feel like when a watch is entirely polished, it's sometimes well, it just and it's and it's simpler. But that mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I said, we don't see those Orients over here in the United States. And if you're kind of where I, you know, yeah. the only Orients I've ever had experience with is the normal Orients, which is a great watch, but not on that level. That that Orient GMT that you have too, man. You I love put that watch. You put those two together. Those are good looking freaking. Yeah. Uh, freaking watches that's a neat collection to have those two orients are that white doll on that gmt is that is you right it has a is yours white the the one that i have is blue it's like that deep oh maybe yours is blue i've seen i feel like i've seen one that's white too but yeah the blue that it's just i don't know man that orient star gmt is really freaking nice here here and i think if we saw that more than the standard Mm -hmm. ones people would probably have a little bit more Respect. Uh, respect for appreciation. that. Appreciation. Yeah, because uh, the problem is here in the States, and I'm a broken record. If you've listened to the TBWS Two Brook Watch House podcast before, you've heard me say this, so I'm not going to spend more than two seconds talking about this. The greatest disservice, disservice that Orient is subject to here in the United States is being distributed through Orient USA. Orient USA is the worst thing to happen to Orient as a watch brand ever, in my opinion. Because they give conceptions, they they give Americans the conception that Orients are all style, no substance. Um, those really shitty like watch uh, marketing campaigns with that mad rapey Mister Orient motherfucker in the double dare suit with the blue and the red tie and bullshit like that. And then also when you go to the website, it's just like, dude, it just annoys me so much, and it just perpetuates a lot of the negative stereotypes that folks in the, in the United States have in regards to Orient. That's why whenever I get the chance, I will just say Orient USA is the worst thing ever. Um, and I'll always encourage people to look at JDM Orient, look outside, even look at Orient Europe. Orient Europe has its shit more together than Orient USA, but it's just a result of the Orient global watch co marketing structure. Each individual uh, Orient licensing group, so Orient USA, Orient Europe, they all operate independently. It's not like Seiko, where Seiko is in very meticulous control of how each different location markets Seiko watches. Like Orient just lets all the different licensors do whatever they want. And the person that suffers the most is you people at home. So Orient oh, that was Watch USA it. got worse somehow. <laughs> I remember when ten years ago when I first heard of Orient on Watch You Seek. Yeah. Um 
and and started looking at them. I was like, wow, yeah, that's a nice little, you know, they're not bad. And Orient Watch USA, because I used to have a Mako. I had a Mako 1 that nice. had the button at 2 to change oh, yeah. the date on it. Um, but Orient Watch USA back then had a couple of watches and a video of some guy that I think's name was Mark. And mm-hmm. he just uh, just went over it and... It, it was kind of, it just felt like a sketchy website then and now all it is is people who don't look like me at all wearing <laughs> watches and they're got they're like look I'm out here with my brand new Nikes on this rock wearing this orient you know I'm just standing on this rock for the next four hours <laughs> like you know I I, I, I kind of want to see watch ads that are like me look at this fat shit sitting in front of the TV wearing his orient God this is a watch for you. <laughs> This is a real person's watch. Don't you understand? Do you need to know what time it is before dinner? You know, (laughs) we have a, we have a, we have a, we have a dinner timer, a complication built into your watch. (laughs) I don't know. It somehow got worse. There's no watches on it. It's pictures. Yeah. It's, it's the super cliche thing that people, that a lot of watch fam folks rag on within watch marketing. I can't even see the fucking watch. Yeah. It's you know? like the Lady Gaga Tudor uh, commercial. I, I saw a lot in those commercials. I didn't see a lot of watch. I saw right. a lot of other stuff. You know what right. I'm saying? Exactly. Like, it's, it's just, yeah. And I and I get it. I'm not dumb. I understand that that stuff sells. That that idea of what you could be or what you could be doing. It's like beer commercials. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that uh, it, it's, love- it almost delegitimizes the the watch the brand a little bit when they do that to watch enthusiasts yes but to the general public it's right no, in line with what with what they get the funny thing i always love beer commercials because it's like it's always like a group of friends on like a rooftop and they have like string edison bulbs and they're having a great time and i'm like that's not how i drink i drink alone like in the bathtub in the dark like who's drinking with friends that's yeah I, I know <laughs> I've, I've never drank with friends i might have you know it's that's I drink a beer on the porch at the end of the day to try to to wash away the stress of work. Yeah. Hey, everyone, you've made it to two book alcoholic watch snobs. You are listening to episode one. Where we're going to talk about drinking alone. <laughs> oh, my God. Too good. <clears throat> but here, let's do this huge shout out. It is that time. We, we talked about this last week, and I was saying I was going to start this week before we get into – uh, uh, the next phase of the show. It is time for our first ever Patreon audio wrist check shoutouts. That's right. If you are supporting us on Patreon, you are basically going to be joining us in our audio wrist checks. Uh, obviously, that audio wrist check we just did was, was was way longer than I wanted it to be, but that's just par for the course. That's just how I operate. I say one thing, something else happens. I try to pick up the pieces. Um, I think Baird, you and I made the joke. We 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 fail up. You and I somehow have managed. To, to to go through life failing up, and that's just what Two Broke Watch Knobs feels like to me right now at this point. This this is my example of failing up. I told my <laughs> wife this. I said, I'm the guy that's always like, you know, if you need a hand, I'm here. And then somebody goes, oh, great, come help. And I'm like, oh. Damn it. Like, yeah, oh, crap. What do I do now? Uh, so I was just now, like a real human, god damn it. I didn't right, expect you to take me up now, on it. Exactly. And now I'm obligated, so I'm like, okay, well, let me uh, – see what I can do. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's exactly, that's how I got all my jobs. It was like, can you do this? Sure. I've never had any training. Great. 
let's figure it out in the process. But <laughs> so, but so I should take this time. Thank you, Barrett, again for for joining me on air. Awesome. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is super last minute. But here it is time for our Patreon audio risk check shoutouts. Um, first two up. Uh, uh, I'm actually really excited because these are completely different mother humping watches. I'm going to start with the one bear that you don't know because one of these you know already. And when I say it, you're going to realize why this is. These are hilarious watches to be up with each other. <clears throat> so first, TBWS Patreon audio restrict shout out goes to Just Two Ticks. Um, he's also on our Slack channel. Just Two Ticks has opted for his audio restrict to join us with the Bremont <laughs> U251 Jet. Let me uh, let me Slack this to you, actually, bro. Actually, let me just. I'll throw the whole link up in, in Slack. Oh, I just, I just looked it up on Google. Oh, cool, I know, cool, cool. I know exactly who you're talking about now. I'm, I'm so happy that the first Patreon audio risk check was a Bremont. I love Bremont. I know Bremont is super, super polemic and decisive, or divisive, dividing, whatever the fuck the word is. Um, polemic. I'll use polemic. Polemic in the watch family. You all of them, or you, you hate them. I think as a brand that's always trying to do their own thing, Bremont is really should be super respected. Also super respected in regards to their uh, call to try to bring back British watchmaking. Um, this example specifically that Just Two Ticks is rocking for his Patreon audio wrist check. I'm not usually a fan of all black watches, watches that are totally like, like blacked out. But this one does it for me because I just – I. I love the tip-trick case or the triptych case. However, the hell you say it with Bramons. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not sure how to say that either. But let me see here. Triptych case construction. There it is. It's like a multi. Uh, I'm on the. I, I'm able to read it here. It's like a multi-case style case uh, 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 construction of these things. Let me share. He you know, funny <laughs> enough, when I first got into watches, other than the ones that you already know, Bramont <laughs> was one of the first brands that I came across. Really, that was, that was nicer than I mean. It's it, it they, and I feel like the price has actually gone up on them uh, in the last ten years for sure. I feel like they weren't quite this much, but I'll tell you this: I love the. I actually like the Supermarine quite a bit. Yes. Um, Hell yes. Some of those are so good looking, and I like. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, Bulva does a little of this too, but I like the crown at two o'clock on some of those. It's, it's yeah. actually. It's just different, you know. It's, uh, it's not, but they, but they, you know, that that's a good looking watch to me. The Braemont, I can't touch one, but uh, well, I mean, if you go, well, if you're ever down here in, in Disney when it's safe to actually like leave your homes, we have a Braemont AD <laughs> here in Disney Springs. I wonder if he'd let me wear one if I walk in with my Godzilla shirt on. And <laughs> do, hey, bro, do can make- I see that? Dude, you could be holding like a like a drippy McDonald's cup with like a McFrosty stain on your shirt. There you go. They'll let you try it on. This is Florida, man. Like people, like <laughs> dude, like people with money dress terribly here. I oh, don't I understand it. Let me send you. Uh, just two ticks shared this photo he took of the watch going into a Mustang, which I understand is some kind of plane. I know nothing yes. about planes. Is it a P fifty one Mustang? I do not know. I'm sending yeah. you. I've slashed. I've slashed the photo to you now. Yeah. Um. Let's see. He rode in the back of this thing. How cool is that? Yeah. It's. It's. It. It. Oh God, that is cool. I wish I was. I wish I was Braemont cool. But you know uh, I mean? yeah, P fifty one Mustang was uh, an American aircraft. I don't know a ton about it. My grandfather was an airplane mechanic in World War Two. Nice. Um. 
but uh, a P-51 Mustang was a fighter plane in World War II, an American fighter plane uh, in World War II. So that's what a P-51 Mustang is. So cool. That's what it is. But the, the, the Braemont watch looks at home uh, in front of the cockpit of that thing. And it, on it, this, like, he's got it on this, uh, it looks like a leather NATO almost. Or yeah. Like a cork NATO or, or suede yeah, like or something. Cognac colored uh, leather NATO with uh, what looks to be a possible OD, OD green uh, uh, like jacket or, or, or shirt Dude. or something. So it's really cool looking. It really is. I wish I was this cool. This is so cool. Just who takes your way to yeah, cool school. He man. comes in. Yeah, he came into the Slack channel and has dropped some real bombs. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, I've got this Mickey Mouse Timex from the 80s. <laughs> this guy's showing up with, like, real watches. That's what I talk about failing up. Like, <laughs> why am I writing about watches and he's not? You know what the funny thing is about failing up? You never fail up for something you want to fail up in. He's got it. I mean, he, <laughs> He's got it figured out. Just he thinks yeah, he's got, got it. it. I don't, you know. And for some reason, I'm the one that's writing about watches. Oh, my God. That's so good. What is this? Modified 11.5 B3A6 automatic chronometer, 38 power reserve, stainless steel case, 100 meters. Dude, just who ticks. Super fucking cool, man. Uh, let's do here our second Patreon audio wrist check shout out goes to OG TBWS uh, listener and contributor Chris A, who I know you know because we talked about him. We did that thing a long time ago. He is rocking. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, the Timex, the Timex Skiathlon, Skiathlon. Yeah, I think that's very, how you say it. Very quirky watch. Let me. I need to Google this thing. Dude, that that thing. I, I don't know if I told you this. I don't know if I talked about it, but I've I've been in kind of a you know to me vintage in my lifetime is 80s and 90s, which was right. kind of the you know sort of a dark day for a lot of watch brands, but uh, you know. Uh, there is some interesting stuff to come out of the eighties and this is, man, this thing is cool as crap. And I remember <laughs> talking to him about it last year and, uh, it, it's dude, it, it does, there's no, there's no way this came out any other decade than the 1980s. <laughs> let me see this thing. Uh, let me see this skiathlon is designed for easy use on the slopes with the chronograph function. So scopes and this slopes in this sense is for skiing. I, I've never skied uh, in my life. So I don't know uh, how this would serve as like a ski timer, but um, this is coming from whichwatchtoday.blogspot.com. The skiathlon is designed for easy use on the slopes with the chronograph function with large font buttons for easy use in ski gloves and an outside temperature sensor, which also shows a bar on the top of the display. It's just so, I don't know. Obviously no one's ever going to ski in this, but if you walked <laughs> into like a Starbucks in order to drink, you would be so fucking like, dude, like fuck you nerds with your retro calculator watches. I have a ski athlon. Yeah. You know what I, mean? I know. I want to so walk cool. into a, I want to go find a DeLorean and just drive around with that watch on. Oh, but, that's, uh, that's your job. Your new job is just to wear that watch and drive around with it. I wonder if he has the, uh, cause he had a couple of cool old eighties Timexes. I wonder if he has the case for that thing. Cause I think they came in like a VHS box kind of case that like <laughs> thick plastic, you know, case that's split in two. Dude, Chris uh, A, if you have the case, please let us know. Post a photo and tag us in it, and I'll share it on the feed. 
God, I hope I hope you have the case. If, if it's what I'm thinking of, the case on those, I remember looking at it when he said it last year, and I think the case is really cool. Uh, but you this know, it has serious Star Trek communicator vibes. Oh yeah, it it so came from cool. that Tom absolutely. You know, sci-fi was big. We were yeah. all in the '80s. We were all headed for a dystopian society. There was no good futures. Man. Uh, this is going to be the watch you can you can uh, customize your uh, cyberpunk character <laughs> in pretty soon. <laughs> Dude, it's so cool. So yeah, huge thank you, huge shout out to Just Two Ticks rocking the U two fifty one jet from Bremont. Fucking so fucking proud to have a Bremont be uh, the first uh, TBWS patron audio respect shout out we could do. And huge shout out to Chris A rocking this Timex Skiathlon. I just I love these two watches together. If you want to get in on the Patreon audio respect goodness, check out the Patreon page patreon.com slash two broke watch knobs um you can jump into that tier or check out the other tiers um and you'll get any tier from the one before it so there's stuff for the before the clap uh episode where it's basically 20 30 minutes behind the scenes discussion where in this case baird and i for this episode figure out what the fuck we're going to talk about last minute um in addition to that you know you get access to the slack channel you get access to uh ebay deep dives with kaz on kaz that's who's talking right now where i go on ebay and i basically just type in Raketa Perpetual Calendar and like I'll show you in real time how to authenticate, spot Frankens, all that kind of fun stuff just so you guys can get the knowledge to pick out shit that you want to find in terms of Soviet watches. As I spent a lot of fun. I did I did an episode on Kirov, which is technically first Moscow watch factory from approximately like 1935 to about 1960 till it changed to Polyot. Um, I've also done an episode on vintage Vostok amphibias. I'm going to do multiple episodes on vintage Vostok amphibias because it's just a fucking, it's just a sarlacc pit of things to get into because there have been so many case types and so many different iterations. And so I'm working on the third one soon. I'm probably going to do, it's probably going to be on the Polyot signal, which is a mechanical alarm complication, which is a lot of fun. Um, so, and you can get access to our Patreon Slack channel as well. So if you want to get on the fun, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash knobs. Uh, here, really quick, just because I want to make sure we're good on time. Baird, you're good on time? Oh, yeah. Just awesome, because we haven't even gotten to the main topic. We are honoring the other tradition of TBWS, and that is gilding the lily as much as possible before we get to the main topic. <laughs> um, go and check out twobookwashnobs.com. A lot of really, really cool stuff going up on there. Uh, I'm working on getting um, senior contributor Greg Bedrosian's review of the Notice Retrospect Obsidian Black uh, up there. In addition to that, check out... So let's 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 do a proper let's do a proper watch shout out to Damon TBWS contributor Damon Bailey for essentially becoming I think the Mark Twain of the <laughs> two broke watch snobs. That's the only way I could properly position him. There's a level of writing and satire which has been achieved in this piece he's put up, which I think needs to be lauded and applauded. Um, go and check out the latest piece. Uh, from Damon Bailey on the twobookwatchshop.com site. Ready? 12 watches to pair with your Affliction t-shirt. Bro, it's t-shirt time. Fucking incredible. Make sure that you're listening to uh, Five Figure Death Punch while you're, <laughs> while you're reading it. Um, you know, the thing is, and I don't want to sit here and fluff Damon up for, you know, 10 minutes or anything, but he's he's an interesting guy. Like. Yeah. Obviously, he doesn't fail up and mm. actually reads books, quote unquote. <laughs> but, um, you know, he is, he's kind of hard. I can't, I can never tell if he's being serious or not in the Slack channel. 
sometimes I, some, one time I thought he was just making fun of me at one point, but uh, he posted a watch and I was like, cool watch, bro. And I feel like he did it on purpose to see if I, <laughs> I That's the magic, man. You don't, I don't, we were so, hanging out with him in San Francisco uh, a year or so back and um, he just had this big backpack with him. It's just like this big backpack. And I'm like, oh, whatever. It's kind of cool. He's carrying a backpack with him. And just randomly throughout the night, he'd pull out another watch in the backpack. It was just like yeah. a bag. It was like it was like a bag of holding for orological goodies. You know what and I mean? Dude, he has a beautiful collection yes. of vintage chronographs, some that I would oh literally God. knock him over the head and steal all of them oh. and run as fast as I could to the next airport and get away. Because they are absolutely gorgeous. He's got a, and he's got some that, but uh, he's got other ones, you know, or he has a, he has some of them he has, he doesn't, you know, it's like, this isn't the greatest version of this watch, (laughs) you know, and if I could find it, I'd have it. But he, he knows a lot about that stuff and he's really funny. Um, I, I guess I can be kind of funny in person, but for some reason I sometimes find it hard to transfer any of that into writing and he does such a good job at that god almighty that well, article is hilarious I, I love the tbw's contributing staff because we're all really good at just different things and together we create like a megazord of journalistic writing force you know what i mean in, in my in my opinion um have you have you seen that movado chronograph the vintage movado chronograph he's got oh yeah and th- and that's the thing because i can't Movado is one of those brands that I have no no love for almost at all mm-hmm. now oh. because they have sort of become, you know, a mall watch. But mm-hmm. they still try to they still try to flaunt that Swiss background. Like, right. look, you can buy a quartz watch for six hundred bucks. But you know, um, once upon a time, man, they made some sharp sharp watches, and he's got one that is absolutely gorgeous. Totally cool. So go and check out. Damon's piece, 12 watches to pair your affliction t-shirt, to play, to pair with your affliction t-shirt, bro, it's t-shirt time. He breaks <laughs> down, he, bra- <laughs> he breaks down the psychology behind why affliction t-shirts are worn. And my favorite part about this article, the pieces he chose to pair with are actually really good pairings. It's actually, it's not just satire for satire's sake. These are actually really smart watches. <laughs> Where did he find this stuff? don't know like half of them i've never heard of like, <laughs> like who the fuck bought once a 45 millimeter skull watch with a skull <laughs> bracelet like where did he find that and what person they're charging 30 grand for it dude some of them some of these are hilarious so good rtas son of a gun russian roulette uh zenith type 20 gmt automatic tribute to the rolling stones this Romain Jerome pinup DNA red gold WW2 Gina fan chronograph has this like pinup girl in the back. This is fantastic. These are all incredibly apt apt combinations to make with your Affliction t-shirt. So if you are an Affliction t-shirt aficionado and you have a spare $35,000 lying around on your couch, go and check out Damon's 12 watches to pair with your Affliction t-shirt bros t-shirt timepiece on the twobookwashshops.com website. They're just reading the. They're just reading the humor, going, "Yeah, bro, that's totally me." That's totally. You know, <laughs> they, they don't realize they're. They don't realize they're making being made fun of. It's like, yeah, that's right, absolutely. <laughs> I totally get this watch with a bullet in it for no. Sweet. Not even a bullet. I, I think it's a casing cap. Technically, this watch has in it too good. Um, before we jump into the main topic, Baird, it is time we congratulate 
TBWS's own senior <laughs> contributor. Yeah, it's great. Greg Bed Greg Bedrosian, you won. You beat David Beckham. The TBWS watch family has chosen you as the winner for who wore it better. The Tudor well, you're wearing your GMT, and then obviously David Beckham was wearing the new BB58 blue, I think. Um, in that photo he posted on his uh, Instagram. So if you if you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, go and check out the uh, Tuick Wash Knobs uh, um, uh, Instagram. Well, I mean, it might be gone by now, but I'll try and post it again later. Uh, we did a Who Wore It Better in honor of last week's episode where Michael and I did that, but we did Who Wore It Better. Uh, Greg Bedrosian did a pose that David Beckham was doing on his Instagram feed where he was kind of, uh, uh, I guess, promoting the new uh, Black Bay 58 in blue. And uh, it's just, it's really, it's a very unnatural pose that David Beckham is doing. And I love that Greg was able to mirror that pose perfectly. It reminds me, um, you said you're, you said you're a DC guy. You're not a Marvel guy, right? Right. I, I, I'm well-versed in DC, not so much Marvel other than what I've seen on TV and the movies. Well, do you remember when uh, J. Scott Campbell, uh, who's an artist, I think he does a lot of independent work, but he does he's done some Marvel work. I think he did a photo, a drawing of uh, Mary Jane from Spider-Man, where she's in this incredibly unrealistic pose. Like, oh it's like it's like Rob Liefeld bad. Like, Dude, she does not have... That's who I was going to point out. He doesn't know how women stand. God. Well, J. Scott Campbell doesn't know how women's pelvises function, apparently, because yeah. like she's sitting on like a couch, and it's an incredibly unnatural pose. And so um, people started trying to like mimic the pose that J. Scott Campbell had put Mary Jane in, and people are trying to sit unnaturally like her, and it just looks funny. And so for some reason, Greg's Greg doing David Beckham's weird hand in front of your face pose just just reminded me of that. I don't know why so, but but the but the TBWS family voted that you, Greg Bedrosi, and senior TBWS contributor, had worn that pose and oh, a tutor God. in this case better. I just looked up that photo, and you're right. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so uh, who sits who sits on the couch with no pelvis holding a mug, is, of, mug of coffee. It is clear. It is clear that once upon a time the comic book industry was dominated by men. <laughs> yeah. I dominated mean, to, to by an men. Extent, dresses like that to sit around for breakfast coffee. What are you talking Shut about? Up. You don't you don't dress skimpily while you're just sitting around at home, Baird? Come on, dude. Jeez. Tell me, my, you never know who's watching. Listen, right? even my wife's never seen me naked. We've been married for ten years. <laughs> full full disclosure, she's never seen me in the nude. I mean, it's just it's just been ten years. It's just never it's just never come up. <laughs> but, but oh god, Rob Liefeld used to draw women with arched backs. Like size negative ten waists on their tippy toes all the time, dude. I'm gonna fight crime without a hard skeletal structure. I'm gonna do it, man. All right. Stupid. God, oh, you're right though. Fun. But it, it is an unnatural watch pose that he was in. And I listen. David Beckham was somebody I once upon a time would have sold my soul to look like. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 stupid. Like. <laughs> Yeah. But, to, but 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 to, but to David's credit, to Mr. Beckham's credit, the check cleared. If the check clears, I'll pose however the fuck you want me to. Because I could. I think most people in the Watch family know he's not a Tudor guy. He's a Rolex guy. Like his personal collection is actually comprised of a lot of nice Rolexes. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure. Uh, you know, not to not to get off topic, but uh, I've been doing a lot of, wa- of Guy Fieri watch watch shopping lately on. 
watching oh, yeah? just dude that guy has some serious heavy hitters he's got watches i remember mike and i made fun of him on like an episode in the past and then like the next episode he was like yeah i looked into it guy theory actually has nice watches and i think we should he has a, some apology. serious heavy hitters holy moly Oh, if I had Flavortown money, I would fucking probably buy some nice watches too. You he's, know what I'm he's he's easily one of the busiest people on television. <laughs> Telling you, man. So yeah, huge congrats to Greg. Greg, you did it. Tell your wife and family you beat David Beckham. You wore a Tudor better. Um, <laughs> don't tell your wife. Your 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 family doesn't care about any watches. I'm assuming he should. He should go look, babe. Look. I the beat in- David Beckham, so the internet thinks I'm better looking than David yeah. Beckham in this one in particular pose. You Fuck know what I mean? Your fantasy. <laughs> I, you got the you got the winner. I ain't got to show the belt. Too good. <laughs> oh man, let's do this. Let's shift into the main topic. Um, a very casual, just general discussion about American watches in honor of us recording on Fourth of July weekend. Um, obviously, Barrett, both you and I are American, and I know as watch enthusiasts, American watches is something that we've always sort of would have been like, man, it'd be cool if there was an American watch I could spend XYZ on and or support. So you have more knowledge about this, I think, just in regards to like the pre-court crisis stuff. Um, the only American watch brand that I can think of right now off the top of my head, that's still kind of technically around, although not really around, is Bulova. Bulova used to be in New York. Still head, still headquartered in New York. Okay, okay. But that technically, I guess, started as an American watch brand, and then I think they were snatched up during the quartz crisis. Right? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're, uh, Bulova's a good place to start, um, huh? and one reason is, oh. is because... They've been around a long time. They did survive the courts crisis. I don't know if anybody knows this now, but they are owned by Citizen. Shit, now, that's right. Which yep. was, I think they bought Bulova in 2009-ish. Um, wow. And interestingly enough, since, I think Citizen buying Bulova has actually been great for Bulova. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Bulova was around for a really long time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, was all at one point U.S. or or they had a you know U.S. made and then they had yeah. a um, a uh, some factories in Switzerland because you can find some Swiss made uh, old Bulovas. But the thing that Bulova did, I don't think a lot of people my age or younger know that a lot of watches used to be made in the United States. But uh, the thing that Bulova did that set itself apart from everybody else. Hmm was the invention of the Accutron. Shit, that's right. The tuning fork movement, right? Absolutely. You know, there had been other electric watches out there that had started to experiment with batteries. And basically, they were still, they still had a uh, a, um, a, a balance wheel, mm. like a normal mechanical watch. The difference is, is that the, the, you know, the mainspring had been replaced by a battery. Yeah. And so when you put the battery in it, you know, the balance would swing back and forth and keep time. But that wasn't good enough. And it, it was better than the, it, it kept, it was an accuracy race, I guess. Right. That's how you put it. And it kept better accuracy than, say, a mechanical watch, but it was still pretty much mechanical. Bulova came along with the tuning fork movement um, that, if you look at them, the reason they call it that and the reason it's still the symbol of Bulva to this day is they invented this 
but they, uh, you know, if you ever look inside the movement or if you look at a space view, mm. um, you can see those tuning forks sitting over the coils and that battery would energize those coils, which would cause those tuning forks to vibrate at an extremely high frequency. You can actually, I've got one, uh, I've got my 218 here with me. I don't know. I don't know if you can hear that. I but anyways. So. Is, is, it, is it like a hum? It's like a yeah. very... Wow. Right. They hum. Wow. That's so fucking cool. They hum. And basically that that movement, which you can't see with your eyes, but if you check out a guy on Instagram named... Uh, crap. I've had it. Uh, he's like Accutron Doctor or something like that. I think he's he's in Asia. But nice. he does some super slow-mo... Uh, videos of Accutron's working, and when he does that, you can actually see those forks moving back and forth over those coils, and that fork manipulates these two little tiny hair-like fingers that turn the train of wheels at an extremely high rate of speed. Uh, I think that little tiny wheel has something like 370 or 320 teeth on it, so you get this perfectly smooth sweep there's no ticks. It's not like you have a high beat Seiko and you slow it down and it's 10 or so many ticks per second. This thing right. is smooth like an electric clock. And at the time, that was the most accurate watch in the world. Wow. And um, it was, a you know, obviously the, uh, it's, it's, the, the technology is a little fragile is the downside. Okay, because I was going to ask, why do you think more brands didn't try and adopt it? So do you think maybe it's a uh, a delicacy issue and then maybe also just too hard? They, were, I mean, were they hard to make? They improved the delicacy issue, in my opinion, from the 214 was the original. That's okay. the one that – the 214 is the one you see that has the the, uh, uh, the crown on the back side of the watch. Yep, yep. The 218s, they put a standard crown at the 4 o'clock position. Gotcha. The 218s, in my opinion, are – a little bit more robust. Like if you look at a 214 compared to a 218, it literally looks like fallout technology. And uh, they they were a little bit more fragile. I have a 214 that belonged to my grandfather that supposedly cannot be repaired. Wow. And I, you would have to just replace the movement. And unfortunately, parts are becoming hard to find for 214s. But 218s are out there everywhere. Got it. Uh, but uh, I think that once... <clears throat> Quartz technology came along because Accutron name eventually transitioned from the tuning forks to Quartz in the 70s. Mm. I think that as the Quartz technology came along, that was vastly more affordable. And as we all know, to this day, the accuracy is better. On a Quartz watch? Absolutely. The tuning fork was way more accurate than a mechanical watch at that time, but the quartz watch is more accurate than the tuning fork movement. Now, me and Damon were talking about this. You can find the Bulva created the tuning fork movement, uh, but you can also find some of them in watches like some Omegas. Mm -hmm. They bought that technology and put it in their own and kind of did their thing to it. But what we discovered that was really super cool and mega rare if you look up, they, I think they had them in a couple watches, but if you look up an, a Longines 
ultrasonic chronograph. Longines took a Bulova Accutron movement, which Bulova only made three-handers, that's it, and took an Accutron movement and somehow incorporated a chronograph module onto it. What? So when you click this chronograph, you have, you know, your normal second hand sweeps slow, just, I mean, perfectly, no ticks, no nothing. And when you click this chronograph, that second hand just smoothly sweeps around that dial. And they are mega rare. And if I had $1,100 or $1,500, I'd buy one right now. That's so cool. I'm looking at, uh, I'm trying to find photos of these things. They seem super rare. Wow. Oh man, he didn't. It's. I, I think I threw a curveball at him. Like he he had to like dig into the books to to <laughs> give me the information. I was you know so he reads. He reads. Motherfucker <laughs> he reads, to, dude. <laughs> to give me that information on it. But uh, the, I tell you this: the reason wow. I wanted to get into this is since Citizen bought Bulova because they went through a dark time in the eighties and nineties. Like eighties and nineties Bulovas are, eh, you know, right? They exist, but. Ever since Citizen bought them and started going with the uh, the precision, started with the precisionist movement, which evolved into the 262 kilohertz ultra high frequency. Right. That thing is unbelievably affordable and mega accurate. I think the I think the range on that is like minus plus 10 seconds a year. Jesus. Yeah. And it doesn't cost anything. Now, they are kind of cheap when you start tearing them apart. So as far as longevity is concerned, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, we talk a lot. I hear you guys talk a lot about, like, Seiko 9Fs and what have you. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, ports, very high accuracy. Yeah. Right. High accuracy. But here is a watch you can literally buy at any store that if you don't want to deal with setting your time any at all, you can have it. Yeah. Those things are unbelievably accurate. And I think that's why I liked it. Sit. I think citizen as terrible as Bulva's marketing is, they'll release 20 watches and not tell a soul. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, like why? But as terrible, as terrible as that is, I think citizen has been made, has made Bulva to reach backwards and pick some things out. And I think they are trying to appeal somewhat to uh watch enthusiasts I, it uh, seems like it because they, they've done some releases that are sort of not, i mean i guess they're kind of like military-ish inspired but like vintagey you know what i'm saying yeah did you hear about them coming out or did you just find it on their website i i, I think michael found it on the website and then told right. me about it so yeah, like the book, no one there wasn't like a big press release it was kind of just yeah. like here they released a chronograph A this year and nobody knew it. Like I just got on there one day and I was like, Oh wow, you can buy one, you know, cool. Come on. But, but they, I don't know why that is. Now they still obviously make a lot of mall watches. That's their, their bread and butter. But yeah. you know, I think Timex is doing that marketing a lot better. Um, Timex seems to have their, their shit together in regards to like, it's like a very repeatable process, you know, watches in process of being made, some kind of announcement, it's made, send out emails, um, hit up the big watch blogs to let everyone know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Oh, fuck, Timex is another, is, 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 is another American company. Yes, it is. I didn't even realize until, I mean, I, I mean, like, I knew that, but it didn't, like, occur to me until just now. 
and and Timex, you know, Timex was uh, I I'm not sure. I'm trying to see who owns them now. I think they're still owned by themselves. They may be, but they don't make any watches here other than the, you know, the American documents. A bit of a flop. Those seemed like a bit of a like. I don't think they were as they didn't resonate with the watch fam as much as Timex. I think was expecting them to because they're also kind of expensive. Well, and that's the thing, and I think a lot of people don't think about that when they think about American made. Uh, you know, American labor costs money. Yeah. Um, and if you, you know, it's like I always said about people who, I don't want to cause controversy, but you know, they don't like the way chickens are treated when right. they go to, well, if you would pay $10 for a chicken breast, they won't be treated that way. Yeah. The, the cost of things is always in direct relation to the cost of living in the country where it's produced. And the reality is that here in America, cost of living is just super high. We're not even talking about the quality of what you're getting. We're just talking about the cost of what it gets to get it. So if you want something that's American made, or if you want something that's made in a certain way and it's only made in America, you do have to understand you're going to be paying more money just because the cost of living is higher here. That's just Check how it out. is. I mean, just think about you're into guitars. Oh yeah. Look at a U.S. made Strat. Yeah, I'm. I didn't buy. I bought. I bought a. I bought a Strat in 2003 that was made in Mexico. I took out all the electronics, all the pots, the pickups, and I put my own custom shop 69 pickups in there. I put a Seymour Duncan mini humbucker in the bridge, and I, all in all, I'm probably into it for about five or six hundred bucks, and it basically plays sounds and looks in my opinion better than american strat and i didn't even come anywhere near the 1000 or 1500 dollars mark that it comes with and thing is it comes with all it comes with all of like that's 1500 2000 bucks like stock with all the regular stuff in it that's not even counting all the shit that i did to my uh mexican made strat so it's just like yes like you in, in guitars it's especially prevalent you know and i i think that's I think that's unfortunately what happened to that American documents. It's a, it's a nice, it's a nice piece and it's cool to own. Yeah. Uh, but I think people looked at Timex as a brand and, you know, because like I said, this again, we're talking people my age, I'm 39 years old. I was born in 1981. Right. Timex has never been anything up to this point other than a cheap watch that you buy. And t it tells Tom. Timex is the brand I buy my $30 Snoopy watch from. Right, and they're, they're not tough the brand. as nails. They're yeah. tough as nails, but but you still, you know, you're like you've got a brand that you buy watches for thirty or forty dollars from. All of a sudden, saying, "Hey, this watch is five hundred bucks." Yeah, it's weird. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, you know, Timex was an American brand. Still, I yeah, you're, I think you're right. I think they still own they're in Connecticut. In yeah. Connecticut, right? That's. They, I think it's a different town, but, uh, you know, they once were made out of all brass because the brass plant was right down the road. Cool. <laughs> um, but another thing that I think, uh, you know, I think one thing that Timex does and another thing that Hamilton, which was an American brand at oh, one shit. point, American brand until Swatch bought, they, I think they changed hands a couple times and Swatch ended up with them. So they're in Switzerland now, mm -hmm. but Hamilton was a absolutely an American brand. Um, but one thing those two brands still do is their the 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 American design, the the you know that Hamilton makes that classic field watch. Yeah. You know, and that is that is you know if you look at field watches that your grandparents wore, 
in World War II. It's the khaki series, basically, right? Like that's Absolutely. like their bread and butter in terms of, I guess, the U.S. market for what they expect with a vintage-looking American-ish, military-ish watch. Absolutely. That, yeah. that field watch is 100% uh, still got a lot of American design in it, uh, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and Timex does the same thing. They still draw upon their classic designs. And Timex really isn't all that different than it used to be. It's just not made here anymore. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they have the MK series, which is sort of like a, like the Timex MK series, which is sort of military-esque. I, I have one of those chronographs. It's made of aluminum. It's hilarious. Um, it's just interesting because I guess a lot of these pre-Quartz American brands, they have some sort of tie to either like military spec, like some sort of mil spec sort of watch they had to make, or they were involved in the accuracy accuracy race when the accuracy race was actually a thing to give a shit about. These days, no, these days there are, and you people can send me as much fucking hate mail as you want. The only watch brand that has given a shit about the quote unquote accuracy race in our lifetime, in our, not our lifetime, Jesus Christ, in our sort of like modern watch collecting phase is probably Omega with all the coax master chronometer shit they've been doing. Right. Um, Otherwise, no one really gives a shit. It's just they're, the current race, it's currently a race to figure out how much you can do to a watch to charge more for it. I don't know how to – the consumerism race. Let's call it the consumerism race because the accuracy race is dead. But the accuracy race and sort of a mil-spec design is I think what was the impetus for a lot of pre-quartz American watches. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was kind of the feeling I got. Speaking of accuracy, I'll tell you mm-hmm. this. A lot of people don't know – you know ball watches? Oh, yeah. That was oh, yeah. American. Shit, that's right. They were like railway were, conductor they, watches, right? They were the fucking railroad standard. So and cool. The, the rail, and that's the thing. I think that's what in the United States drove a lot of the accuracy was the railroad. Because you see a lot of watches uh, that used to say railroad uh, approved. Yeah. Um, they had to be so accurate for, you know, people who I, I don't know much about it. I have my grand I have my great grandfather's railroad watch. Um, it's an old Waltham. Uh, wow. And it still runs great. It's beautiful. He barely used it, apparently. Um, but they had to be so accurate. They had to be so legible. You know, so there's railroad. that And Ball was like the railroad standard at one time. Yep. And they still have that RR kind of logo uh, on their watches to show, hey, you know, we used to be the railroad standard, which nobody gives a shit about anymore. But... You know, I tell you, to be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of ball watches today. Um, I know everybody loves the tritium tubes or whatever they are. Yeah, the tritium tube thing is interesting with modern ball watches because it's almost tritium tubed to the point, and again, you guys can send me your hate mail, of being like gimmicky. You know what I mean? I just think, like, I like tritium tubes on some of the more, I'm trying to think of other brands that use them. I know they do. Uh, but like some Marathon. of Marathon. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, you know, that makes sense. You know, if you look, uh, my boss actually has an original and I, the brand name escapes me because a lot of people made them, but he actually has a vintage military watch from, from, uh, the, uh, I think it was Vietnam. But if you look at the history of that watch, which I did for him, they eventually started to use those tubes in those watches to be legible. Yeah. But at the same time, those kind of look to, to me. Tritium tubes kind of look tooly. It's so, just it, yeah. And for me, it has 
it, it's like the fluorescent light of the loom world. It's just like a, like like those big tube lights. You know what I mean? And I just kind of think they look. They they you know ball watches are so dressy, and they're like, hey, you should spend five thousand dollars on this. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, well, those tritium tubes look like a kid's toy, kind of. Right. I don't, I don't I don't know. Like I said, you can hate mail all the way, but the tritium <laughs> tubes take it take the ball take the the whole thing out of ball for me. Uh, but they used to be a railroad. They were the rail. Yeah. They set the railroad standards. If you look that up, they set the standards for what a timepiece should should keep once upon a time. And wow. they still try to ride that out. Look at our engineers. Like, come on. It's Nobody, so, it, it's sometimes so that, that Sometimes that, that cling to railroad history, I, I get that that's their thing. But, it, you know, like, I don't know. It's, there are it's, many Americans who've never even been on a fucking train. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it. So if if you're into watches and the idea of railroad history is alluring to you and you've never been on a train, you should probably just kind of pivot your train of thought. No pun intended, because this is it's just weird. You know what I mean? So well, I mean the thing is, I, I so it's interesting because we've been talking about American brands, you know, pre-courts that existed and who were integral in some aspect to American neurology and even in Ball's case, American uh, transportation culture. And we've been also looking at who owns those brands now. So Hamilton, obviously, it's Swiss-owned. I think it's it's it's, it's Swatch. It's technically Swatch, now. absolutely. Ulova yeah, is Citizen. Timex somehow still owns themselves. Ball Watches is owned. I just Googled this now. I feel like and this, a, are they Reitmont or something or – no, a Richmond, no, it's Richmond. Hong Kong Group Asia Commercial Holdings. It's part what? of the. <laughs> that sounds made up. No, it's it's a holding company. It's it's an Asian holding company, which might. Exp- I'm on the Wikipedia page, man. Ball Watch Company is an American watch company based in Le Chalet de France, Switzerland. It was founded in 1891 by Webb C. Ball in Cleveland, Ohio, and is linked to American railroad history. The brand is currently owned by Hong Kong Group Asia Commercial Holdings Limited. Um, this is something that we see a lot. A lot of brands that have this sort of legacy American and and uh, uh, British. I think Smith's is owned by um, like a Hong Kong or Asia watch-based company. They'll buy these brands for super cheap. I think Waltham also technically fits in here because I, I think Waltham is owned by an Asian company now. They'll 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 Waltham, buy these brands. Yeah, Waltham actually split in two. Really. Uh, you can yeah it's weird there's a swiss made waltham that claims waltham history and then the name is also owned by a junk junk company called mz burger um, that makes junk i mean so you can buy them for ten dollars at cvs <laughs> mz burger also unfortunately owns the name elgin which oh comes wow elgin illinois yeah and they bought they buy all these like old American like watch watch brands. In in this case, I think Ball Watches is trying to lean so heavily into the American railroad thing to compensate for the fact that it is no longer an American owned company. Yeah, that's I, they're, my they're, and, and they're nice watches, but it never it, it just I never felt much for them. I see some stuff. You know it's funny because in the in the in the before the clap pre-talk we were talking about maybe doing an episode on orological deal breakers, um, and this didn't occur to me. But I think tritium, I think too many tritium tubes is a deal breaker for me, just based off the wall ball, ball watches. Because I'll look at ball watches, and I'll be like, oh, I like the color, 
I like what's happening here, but like, man, there's a lot of Tritium tubes. Or yeah. man, like the and, second hand is really weird because it has the logo on the end, and it's just and the right. It's a lot. It's just a, a lot. lot. And even the numbers are Tritium tubes. Yeah. So like, looks nice if you take a picture of it in the daytime, and then when you look at it at night, it's like, wow, this is a county fair. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure everybody that owns a ball watch is just smashing that off button right now as fast <laughs> as they can. Dear so-called TBWS. <laughs> dear, dear, TB, dear TBWS. I was. And, I don't, and I'm not in any way hating on their quality, but I have, I, and I know that every brand like leans on their past, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a neurological hangup that we just, share. <laughs> just make a nice watch. Make a nice watch. The quality nice on these watch. is supposed to, to be nice. That, yeah, it is. I've seen one. They're really nice. But, you, you know, you you don't have to make up that, you know, uh, Jim Citizen, the engineer for such and such train, wore a watch <laughs> like this. Stop. Oh, my God. But, I, again, I feel like they need – they feel compelled to potentially overcompensate so no one digs too much and they see that they're now owned. I mean, you can, I, I found it in two seconds. I Googled it and found it in two seconds. It's owned by um, – a holding company. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're based in Hong Kong. It's called the Hong Kong Group Asia Commercial Holdings Limited Company. So, as of July 1st, it's based in China. I heard. Right? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That's funny, actually. Gee, I mean, not funny. That's horrible. But I mean, yeah. Wow. Good point. Um, so let me see here. I'm just writing down American brands. We bring up Hamilton, uh, owned by Swatch now. Bulova, owned by Citizen Timex, somehow still holding the fort, owning themselves. Uh, Ball, owned by this Asian uh, holding company. Elgin Watches, also owned by another company based in Illinois. Interestingly enough, another watch company, which actually went away in the 30s, uh, is Duber Hampton, uh, which is the uh, watch company that was based in Canton, Ohio, which was responsible for the the creation of the Soviet watch industry. You guys heard me talk all about that bullshit um, a couple episodes ago, so I'll write... I'll write Duber Hampton on here. But they went bankrupt in 1929 slash 1930, and they just had to sell everything. And the Soviets just bought their patents, the technology, and then two years' worth of training from Duber Hampton employees. So it wasn't like they bought the name and started making Duber Hampton American watch made in Moscow. Like So it's just, you know, I think that situation's a bit different from, from these. But Duber Hampton was an American watch, um, you know, company. And the cool thing was, is they used to manufacture their own movements. I mean, all these yeah. companies used to have their own stuff in it. They weren't, yep. you know, a lot of stuff today, a lot of stuff still, unless you're really expensive or Orient, um, has movements that they make in it. But but a lot of stuff is still putting someone else's engine in there under their hood. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of these companies used to make these movements. They may have been based off something or whatever, but they were manufacturing them here. And personally, I think that's a good segue into something that you know more about than I do, oh. which is the microbrands in this country. Yes. Um, the American watch discussion inevitably has to include some sort of conversation about microbrands. The idea of a microbrand um, – is very much an American thing because most of the micro brands that exist are American. Obviously, there's exceptions. Baltic, the Baltic dudes are based out in France. Obviously, good incredible friend of the show, Gabox Watches. He, Michael Happy is based out in Belgium. There are other micro brands that are based in um, Asia as well. Um, 
but the majority of the ones, at least in terms of ownership, you know, they're usually independent American business people um, that have an idea. They didn't want to start a watch brand, but it gets really interesting because I don't know. And again, send us all your fucking hate mail. I don't know if I would draw an appropriate kind of analogy between micro brands as carrying the American watchmaking mantle in the same way as some of these other brands we were just talking about who used to make everything themselves. Have you, um, have you ever heard of, uh, uh, DM Tiffany, Tom pieces. On yes. He, 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 he and I have had some conversations. He's trying to make everything himself, isn't he? Right. And, and, you know, that's the one thing that I think, is great about you know um you know being an american i guess you know Mm -hmm. without getting too political or weird in these times but i think that americans are great at doing things themselves if they can't find somebody who can do it for them we have to do it ourselves and the thing about it is is that you know nobody owns these machines to do this kind of uh, work anymore. They just yeah. don't exist in this country. They all come from Switzerland or Japan. Yeah. And they're, if, even if you bought them, there's nobody in this country to service them if something goes wrong. So he's one of the guys I think of, you know, he's, you know, if you look on his website and see his stuff, it's actually kind of neat. Like, you know, cool. it's, it's different and it's, it's rough around the edges, obviously, you know, they've, they've all got a very kind of squared off look to them, but, you know, the fact of the matter is the guy's making them. The guy's making them. It's really cool. So check out um, – I have his Instagram in front of me. It's dmtiffany.timepieces. Um, what I really think is interesting is that it's not so much like, hey, I started this thing. I'm making watches. Here they are. They're for sale. It's, hey, I had this idea. You guys can watch me figure this out as I go. And like that's basically it. So that's – they all have – the reason I like – the reason I like them, even though they are like a bit – rough around the edges like you called out it has a shop feel to me i get the sense that looking at these someone made it made it in their shop absolutely it it didn't come off like an assembly line you know what i mean so and i think as an interesting american or logical endeavor it is worth keeping um an eye on him and you can hit him up you can send him questions and like i i i saw i think he was doing an interview with one of the worn and wound dudes, I can't remember. Or no, I think it was when Monta was going around. Monta was uh, doing a bunch of live streams with folks. I think I was in there and um, I got the notification on my phone. Oh, Monta's doing a live stream. I'm okay, yeah, whatever. Let's just watch it. And I watched it and I'm just like, oh, what's going on? And then the you know, the guy that's doing it here, he was talking about his process, like you know, getting all the machinery and learning the process. And it's just, it's pretty cool. Uh, what's he say? Watches proudly handmade in Phoenix, Arizona. Follow my journey. Yeah. And, the, I, and this guy, you know, he must have something. Uh, you know, he must have have. I guess he's got some money, because he. If you look at his stuff, man, he went whole hog with this thing. Yeah. Like you know, he he invested. He invested money. Some serious freaking money to get this done. Yeah. Um. And and the thing about it is, is that. You know, when he makes a watch, or it's it's going to cost some money, yeah. and that's what I think people need to understand is when you have somebody, uh, you know, and things may change if this if the tide turns and watchmaking ever comes back to the United States, um, it would it would obviously be cheaper, 
because you'd have the machines and what have you. But if you've got this guy out here in Arizona just, you know, carving this stuff out of metal, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. He's well, put in a lot of time and effort in this. The other modern example where I guess the vision that he's trying to do is fully realized in terms of American watchmaking, it's RGM watches. Yeah. Out in Lancaster, and these things are fucking expensive, but I get it. So they have so so RGM watches. They're based out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Obviously, I think it's a I think it's like a I think it's actually like a, like a watch town. I think that there's like a I think one of like the American Rolex service schools is there or some shit. I have no I, I could think be wrong. I think it's close. Uh, the 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 school you're thinking of is the it's a, it's a funny name, and I'm it's it's Latitz. Or so L A T I T Z. Oh, I love it. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce Latitz Technicum. Uh, yeah, I actually, to be honest with you, wanted to go there. Right. Uh, and I, I just I don't have that ability in my life right now. But what's really cool is about that school is that they take it is Rolex, um, you know, operated or what have you. Uh, but they will take so many students a year. Yeah. And they, you know, it is a full-time thing, so you, you, you're probably not going to have a job. But uh, so you'll have to find a way to live. But the thing about it is, is that the school is basically free, but you have to come up with the money, which is usually seven to ten grand, to buy your own tools. To buy the tools, yeah. But if if that's something you're interested in, they are there. And uh, there's a guy in Asheville that went there, Asheville, North Carolina, that went there, owns a shop down there, and he's he's very good. If you're, if anybody's interested in watchmaking, I would love to go personally, uh, maybe someday, but not at the moment, but it, uh, check that out. The, the Latitz Technicum, L-A-T-I-T-Z. I'm going there just for the name, man. I want to get like a shirt, Latitz PA, like, yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> dude. Latitz are the PA or whatever the fuck, you know? But um, what, the, uh, what about RGM? I don't, I don't know much about them other than I've seen pictures of, uh, so if there's some watches they make, uh, so everything they have, they have the shop in house, they have all of their milling in house, they have everything. So, so cases, dial, everything. My understanding is they make it all in house. Uh, but there's two versions. There's some RGMs you can get with Edo movements in them that I think they take apart and they do their own shit too. But then there are some RGMs you can get that are totally there. Totally their movements, totally their guts, but those things are mother humping expensive. Um, one of my favorite RGM watches is a Google RGM baseball watch. Okay, I think, I think I've seen that one. I, I think I've done this in a previous guilty pleasure episode or something like that. But it's basically it's a watch, and um, in a very like traditional American baseball, so looking like motifs, like each marker on the dial is like a different thing that's happening in a baseball game. Obviously, baseball is not. Oh yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's, yeah, it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, baseball is not just an American thing anymore. It's huge in Japan. It's huge in Latin America, everywhere else. But like the way um, the RGM folks have chosen to create these little like little little vignettes, little scenes. It's very. I try not to use the word because it's kind of loaded. It's kind of like baseball Americana almost. It's very just wholesome looking baseball scenes. It's on enamel, but these things are like. I think $20,000. Oh, I guarantee it. I mean, you got to really fucking love baseball. Spent 20000 bucks on a baseball oh, yeah, watch. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine spending $20,000 on a baseball watch in the United States and going, hey, bro, look at this cool baseball watch. It's a cool baseball like, watch. Everybody's like, what's that? Tell what's me, baseball? Man. What's baseball? That, did, did, I ever, did I ever tell the baseball story on air about my dad? I don't know. 
Dude, when my dad first came to this country, so my parents are from Pakistan. When my dad first came to this country, it was in the uh, late 70s and 80s, and he came into Brooklyn, and he was doing his residency here, and he had to get a second job because him finishing up his medical education just wasn't paying the bills like, and everything like that. So um, in true, proper, like I guess old-school fashion, not even like immigrant fashion like my dad, but old-school fashion, my dad walked out of his Brooklyn apartment and went door to door to just any business that was open, seeing if they, you know, were were hiring. And he goes into a sporting goods store and he sees they have a gun section. And my dad's like, "Oh, are you hiring?" Like I, you know, I used, I used to hunt a little bit. I know a little bit about guns. And the guy's like, "Um, yeah, I'm hiring, but not for my gun section. Um, it'd be great if you could work the baseball counter." And my oh. dad's like, "My dad's like, perfect. I can do that. I just have one question." The guy's like, "What?" And my dad goes, "What's baseball?" Oh my gosh. <laughs> Motherfucker didn't know what baseball but like why would he know what baseball was? You know right. what I mean? But he was so fucking ready to work it didn't matter. You know? That's right. Yeah. What's baseball? Fake, fake it until you make it. My dad showed me how to fail up. I just never realized it till now. Yeah. You know? Right. You can get pretty high <laughs> in this country by faking it until you make it. Saying yes and just figuring it out after 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 it's all said and done. But yeah, the RGM folks, what they're doing, I think, is the fully actualized vision of totally in-house American-made watches. Any American watch discussion that we have, though, has to include Nick Harris or Orion watches. So if you've all been yelling at the radio waiting for us to bring up Nick Harris, don't worry. It is on... It was on the docket. Uh, Nick Harris over at Orion Watches is an incredible friend of the show. He was one of the first guests we ever had. He was one of the first folks over with Terry um, from Toxic Natos, who's changed his name, and I can't remember what it is now. I'm super, I'm super sorry. Uh, they were some of the first folks to reach out and say, hey, you guys are fucking awesome. Like, how? Like, I want to get out of this. How can I get involved? And so we had Nick Harris on air. Oh, God, episode 19. We were so young. <laughs> so long ago. Uh, but Nick Harris, so he... He started as a Seiko modder. He was modding Seikos, and then he actually went to watchmaking school um, out in out in uh, 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 Seattle in the Washington area. Gra- started Orion watches from there. Uh, graduated, and now I believe he's back home in Pennsylvania. He's from Pennsylvania originally, and he's trying to open up first like a watch servicing sort of situation, so you can have your you know like a like a new watch servicing uh, uh, you know U.S. based. Um, independent uh, uh, you know, option. In addition to that, he's trying to get the machinery and the technology and the education in his shop to build his own Orion watches. So, I mean, some really integral Orion watches pieces that have existed since the, f- the field standard, which was super, super cool. Um, and the one watch that people know him for, because it was a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty big, controversial conversation starting piece, was the Orion Calamity. Um, just based on its price, which goes back to what you and I were talking about. So the uh, the Orion Calamity came out, and it was like uh, fifteen or sixteen hundred bucks, yeah. um, which people are like, I'm not paying that much money for a fucking watch. The blah blah blah. I can buy a not to slander anyone. I'm not gonna say anyone's name. I can buy a blah 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 micro brand for four hundred dollars. And it's like, well, dude, you have to understand what Nick Harris is doing. He's doing All as right. much as he can here in the states. He's a proper watch technician. He's not like a business guy that watched a YouTube video on watches and decided to put $10,000 into a brand. Like, you know what I mean? You're getting a level of craftsmanship and design and American-made pride that you don't get anywhere else. So obviously, you have to pay a premium uh, for that. But I think in terms of modern American watchmaking, post-Quartz Crisis, those are the three really big players. Um, Orion Watches, which is trying to make... Nick's trying to make that transition from 
dime a dozen micro brand to full American mayorology. Um, obviously, everything uh, the dude's doing down in um, Phoenix, Arizona with DM Tiffany timepieces. Um, and then RGM watch, uh, which is probably the final actualized version of an American watch brand. But again, you're paying for it. And I think it's one of those things that it's okay. I, I, you have to know what you pay for. You have to be an informed consumer. I don't want, I don't think I would want to buy something that was quote Like, I don't want to buy it like, like an American, like a fully American made watch. If it's like three hundred dollars, because it's just like, uh. it's, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be cheap. I mean, well, exactly. yeah, it's it's gonna be cheap. I mean, and the thing is, is like, oh man, I tell you, this calamity that uh, that has the steel bezel that kind of looks like watch. an explorer, yeah. uh, explorer too, man. That thing's that thing's cool looking. Um, but um, you know, there are you know, and the thing is, is there has been a rise in micro brands in this country, and I think that they have no choice if they're starting out with little to nothing than to make watches in Asia. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's the only way you can be competitive. Yeah. That's the only way you can be competitive. And, uh, and, um, what was that? What else was I going to, I was going to say something else about it too, but, um, you know, and as they get further along, things may change or it may stay the same or they'll jump to Switzerland or whatever. But, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that, and I'll tell you this, there are some micro brands based in the United States that make some pretty nice watches that come out of Asia. Oh yeah. You know, they, they really do, but they have to, you know, if that watch was made here or somewhere else, you know, it would be a thousand dollars or $1,500. Yeah. And I think you're right. People be like, well, I'm not paying for that. Well, you know, what do you want? Well, man, you can't ask for an American-made product and then not want to pay for it. Right. It costs money. <laughs> costs money, guys. I think an excellent example of a micro brand that's based in America here but has all of its manufacturing, and the majority of its manufacturing in Asia, is, is Raven Watches, dude. Steve Laudlin over at Raven Watches is very vocal in regards to how his entire manufacturing process works. One of my favorite watch quotes of all time, it wasn't captured on media. I, w I witnessed it in person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I witnessed the. I was at one of the windups. God, like forever ago, and I was at the Raven booth. It was one of the first times I met uh, Steve Laudlin and the, the the Raven folks over there. And um, someone like like aggressively came up to his booth and goes, "Hey, hey, man, where are your watches made?" And Steve goes, "Hong Kong, like everyone else in this damn room." And I'm like, "That's fantastic." Right. Don't. <laughs> right. Exactly. Don't lie about it. You, you know, know. Don't try to make up some BS. You know, American heritage. You know, or Swiss. What, a lot of micro brands try to be like, oh, yeah, oh, our, our watches are like Swiss made watches and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it's a, for me, it's a meaningless phrase. But someone confronted Steve Lawlin with it and he's just like, he's like, Hong Kong, like everyone else in this room. Like, I, what do you want, man? You know, when I got, when I got into watches, obviously my first nice watch that I ever had was an Invicta my dad bought for me. Nice. It was the 8927, the, nice. uh, the black and the black with the dial with the two tone case. Yep. And I still have it. Um, it still runs. Um, but, uh, they, when I, when I started, when I, you know, when I looked that up to see what it was and kind of learn about it, man, Invicta tries so hard to go, we're the same company that used to be based in Switzerland for a hundred years. <laughs> We're in no way, shape or form in a strip mall in Miami. <laughs> They're totally based in like Hollywood, Florida. I know exactly where they are. <laughs> 
I was living in Orlando at the time when I got that. My dad, you know, my dad's from that part of the world. He grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Nice. Nice. Yeah, he's born in Fort Lauderdale in 45. He'll talk about how it was a small town and now it's huge. Uh-huh. And he couldn't deal with it anymore. But, uh, well. but, you know, we, when I lived in Orlando, everything was in a strip mall. Yeah. Everything in Orlando was in a strip mall. Even the college I went to, I went to Full Sail University in Orlando. Oh, sweet. Hell yeah. Yeah, I know it. Now, my wife just went to Orlando in February and talked about how Full Sail has grown into this beautiful, like, thing. And when I went there, it was a strip mall. It was a fucking strip mall. You paid a hundred thousand dollars to go to strip mall. Go to the strip mall. But uh, <laughs> you go. You go to college. You get your orange Julius. You can walk into a Radio Shack. Strip yeah. mall done. Fantastic. Strip mall. But <laughs> my thing is, is, they tried so hard to say we're. I'm somewhat distantly related to the original Invicta family, and um, it's bullshit. <laughs> I, I, because I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with ball watches. There's a sense to overcompensate because I think they know the greater knee jerk majority of watch fan people will be like, oh, it's not made in America, or like, oh, it's not made in Switzerland, or like, oh, it's made in Hong Kong, or it's made in China, or it's made in, you know, Malaysia. A lot of Seiko actually are made in Malaysia. Uh, the knee jerk reaction is to think is that it's immediately you know shitty or lesser quality and like that's not even i know that's not even always true that's a blanket statements like that don't really properly apply the only reason uh that watch brands try to have you not think they're made in asia when they are made in Asia is because they assume you'll think it's a bad quality product so it's literally it's a self-fulfilling prophecy it's a cycle they don't mention asian watches because they think you're going to hate them and you hate them because you don't because you see that they never admit that they're actually made in in asia so it's just it is one of those really really you know weird things i, I think the main thing that i'm interestingly taking away from this discussion cuz we could we should probably start you know winding down it's been down. an hour since we started the main topic by the way <laughs> so what started off in the before the before the clap <laughs> that somehow sounds like a night out with I friends. love I that's why it's uh <laughs> that's what they uh, that's what they call in the business a double entendre. You guys can thank Michael uh Michael Pignate for coming up with before the clap because I was just like, oh what do we call it? TBWS after dark, TBWS behind the scenes. He's like, dude, before the clap. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's a humor. He's a humorous guy. He reminds oh, yeah. me. Funny enough, he reminds me of a lot. A lot of. He is almost his. The way he speaks is almost exactly like a guy I went to college with. Really? Exactly. <laughs> Who is also of Hispanic descent? That's like funny. The, like the like I, every time I hear Mike talk, it's it's my friend James from college. <laughs> I love Michael because his humor is very unassuming. It's usually very measured. It's very calm. But when he says something funny, he's like fuck, that was hilarious. And it's just like, this is great. With me, every time I talk, there's a sense of urgency that I don't really know what to do with. So I, I think Michael and I have just different approaches to to humor. But but yeah, he came up with Before the Clap because every time we record the show, um, obviously you and I didn't do it, but every time we record the show, we have to do a clap because Michael and my tracks are separate. So we use the clap on the track to align them and post-process them. So yeah. like, a, the cl- like a movie. Yeah. Like, like the- exactly, exactly. Take two and you do the snap and you right. can. That's you know, exactly what that's for is to line up the audio with the video. Exactly. So before the clap, that's where the whole before the clap came from. But I think the interesting takeaway that I'm getting from the episode, the discussion, which has been so much fun is that, 
watch brands need to be a little bit more open about where they're made and assume that, yeah, you might get some kind of negative feedback, but at the end, people will appreciate honesty. If your watches are made in Asia, let people know. Um, plenty, like I said, plenty of micro brands do. Uh, the uh, the uh, Steve Lawlin over at Raven, uh, the Notice guys, the Notice dudes over on the West Coast, they let everyone know. Like plenty of brands, you know, let people know, but then some brands obviously don't. So be authentic and honest about where your watches th- come from. You know? I think if you're, I think if you turn out, and I say this about restaurants too, that may not look as pretty on the outside. And maybe maybe they've had a few health violations here and there. We won't talk about it. But <laughs> if you're if you churn out a quality product that serves people and people can pay two or three or four or five hundred dollars or whatever you're asking for, and still have it in five and six years, and and wear it every day. We're talking normal watch people now, not us who change them every day like underwear. But um, <laughs> but if you can turn out a quality product like that. Who fucking cares where it's made? It's going to be made in Asia because 90% of watches are made in Asia. Yeah. So don't hide that. We're not stupid. At least I don't think we are. Maybe I'm giving people too much credit. But <laughs> you, might be, maybe, you might be giving some people too much credit, but, but you and I are not stupid. I know that. Much. In, an, in an affordable price range, that's just going to be the way it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? So I think what I would love to see is, yeah, a more honesty about where watches are made and then b more brands with enough sort of you know huevos huevos rancheros to do the fully american thing obviously rgm's doing it that's awesome uh the, the dude over at Diffany, a tm a dm Diffany, tiffany timepieces is doing it that's awesome nick harris has massive huevos rancheros because he's fucking going all in and he's dedicated years of his life to it i think more folks should more more people who have impetus to maybe start a watch brand if you're in america create a business plan which might like to your point baird allows you to maybe do uh offshore manufacturing for a couple of years but just to get you in a financial position to where you can build everything here in america and then at the and the third thing and this is for all of us at home the onus is on every single one of us to understand if you want to buy something american and you find something american and it's super expensive don't call foul. Don't have like unnecessary sticker shock. Understand you're paying more because something's made in America because just the cost of living and manufacturing is is higher here. But if something, if buying something American made is important to you, then it totally makes sense. You know, you don't have to pay for it. You got to pay to play. Yeah. Um, and I think the next big step, not to drag this out any longer, but I That's, think the next big yep. step is going to be movements. Um. Well, you is. got the guys. You got the guys in oh Arizona. Where are they? They're making American-made quartz movements. I, I was going to bring them up, and I can't remember their name. But uh, I think I think that's going to be the next step because uh, you know once you get you you know you have to have the tools to build that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then you would have to have an engineer, someone who is smarter than I am uh, about these things to design how all that's going to work. But if you you know. That that would be the next big step. Otherwise, you know, it's it's going to be just cases and dials and straps and stuff like that. But um, that that's going to be the next big hurdle, I think, is is the movement part of it. The move. So making movements, but on a on a on a like a mass production scale, because obviously there's some people, there's some watchmakers here in the states that are making movements. RGM making movements, but obviously for themselves, there needs to be someone that makes 
There needs to be an American company that makes movements on a large enough platform to where the movements don't cost $10,000 a piece. Obviously, they're going to cost a lot, but to a point where it's more perspective for American-based microbrands to buy an American-made movement than it is to buy like a Miyota or, or an Etta or something like that. Uh, the brand is AmeriCorps. That's what it's called. Yeah. By FTS. I could not think of who they were. I was trying yeah. to look them up. AmeriCorps, uh, FTS. So they're in um, these Minuteman watches. I think we have a review of one of these uh, Minuteman uh, uh, watches on the site. Fine timepiece solutions, AmeriCorps. That's what it is. I don't think they're fully made in USA. I think some parts just logistically they have to still get from overseas, but that's something in their business plan. It seems like they're trying to get to. So it's making movements, but then also training people to like service and make movements and things like that. So I hope in our lifetimes, it sounds really crazy. Our lifetimes, just me saying, I'm sounding so like dire. I hope in our lifetimes, Baird. We, we see something that's fully, properly American-made on an accessible level. Um, but it's going to take uh, definitely time and some pretty pretty brave folks. So shout out to everyone over at Fine Time Peace Solutions um, making this AmeriCorps piece. Huge shout out to the folks over at Lancaster, uh, RGM Watches, making watches out of the phone booth because it's supposed to be a super tiny workshop over there. Huge shout out to Nick Harris over at Orion Watches. Dude, we love you. Good friend of the show. Keep doing what you're doing. And shout out to um, uh, DM Tiffany Timepieces. Go and check it out. Really, really cool. Like, it shows you the process of what he's going through and, like, at, like, the lathe and the mill. It's really, really cool. Um, damn, man. Yeah, really fun discussion. This is super cool. Thanks. So, everyone, everyone say thank you to Baird collectively at the same time now um, for jumping on air with me. Super last minute here. Uh, in regards to a recap, I'm not really entirely sure how to recap this episode. Just listen to it again if you're not sure, uh, you know what happened. Um, but huge shout out to every, uh, to to our Patreon audio wrist check folks. Just two ticks rocking the Bremont UT51 Jet, uh, and Chris A rocking the Timex Skiathlon. Skiathlon? I can't ever. It's a really cool watch. Google it. I'll have it in the show notes as well. Check it out. Check out the twobrokewashingups.com website. Get a gander at Damon Bailey's piece, 12 watches to pair with your Affliction t-shirt, Browage t-shirt time. It's fucking hilarious, okay? Um, in addition to that, everyone congratulate Greg Bedrosian for beating David Beckham. And maybe now Greg Bedrosian can get that sweet tutor ambassador deal. What do you think? God almighty. I would be so happy. Please. Put Greg on, on Tudor TV. Put him in the Lady Gaga dress. Put him in the Lady Gaga dress with a two-book wash knobs hat and like put the tutor That's on right. him. Yeah, and go, hey, you want to buy a watch or what? <laughs> just, he's just got like a slushy, like, like, like hey, you guys, you guys like Tudor? It's like, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I like Tudor. Um, that's not even how he sounds. He's from upstate New York. Uh, but uh, and, and huge, huge, huge thank you, Barrett, again to you. Main topic was a lot of fun. Let's do this. Let's start winding it down. So, Baird, I'll say goodbye. You say goodbye, and then I'll I'll turn the recording button off. But don't close Skype just so we can like chat for another two minutes real quick before I let you go. Um, but everyone, let me know we thought of this week's show. If you want to get in on the Patreon audio risk check fun, hit up the Patreon, patreon.com slash twobrokewashknobs. At the same time, go and check out all the really cool stuff we're doing there on Patreon. If you want to get in on the TBWS Slack, you can do it through Patreon as well. It has been so fun having that Slack channel. Dude, Baird, how cool. 
How cool is it in there? The, the Slack channel is, uh, it is really cool. I, and I hope, I hope a lot of people participate in it because it's neat kind of see uh, uh, what other people have and other people's watches and what have you. Yeah. But I tell you this, as that sucker gets full, it's, it's going to be, be hard to keep up. Oh my God, yes. Like <laughs> I, just, I just learned not to scroll up, not to try to get into the conversation, just, just come in like a child in the middle of a movie. <laughs> God, God, God damn it, Donnie! Yeah, shut the fuck up, Donnie! Shut the fuck up, Donnie! The um, yeah, I I I only scroll up if if I I, I scroll up when I want to see like the daily wrist checks because we do daily wrist checks in the uh, in the Patreon Slack channel, and so it was really really cool to see what folks are are wearing. I loved all the Fourth of July wrist checks here in the states because ever you can tell. You can tell who were the American people on those in the Slack channel because everyone was having uh, a beer in their hand. Everyone was doing a wrist check with like a beer or they were at a grill. And I'm like, yep, these guys are on I the 4th of July. I took a picture of my, my watch under a sparkler and thought it looked really cool outside. And then I looked at it later and I was like, wow, it's really humid. My wrist is extremely bloated. Uh <laughs> I'm not posting this photograph. Oh, I was going to say, I'm like, I didn't, I don't remember seeing this. You didn't post, ah, post it. Who cares, dude? <laughs> it's just 20 cool dudes looking at photos of each other's wrists. Whatever, right. Man. <laughs> right. And talking about our problems and feelings. Talking about our feelings. Oh, my God. I've never had this many friends. Never had this many friends. <laughs> you know? Here, let's do this. Let's wind it down. Super, super cool. Barrett, again, thank you so much for joining me, man. Um, everyone, let me know your thoughts on this week's show. You can hit us up by email, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's fucking backlogged, so it's going to take a while for me to, hear, to get back to you, but it's tbws.contact at gmail.com, tbws.contact at gmail.com, or you can hit us up um, on Instagram. Again, backlog. Um, I guess the best way to get to get a hold of us is you can just comment on the site for the show posts in this, or you can just DM us or email us, and I'll get to you guys when I can. But either way, thank you so much. Thank you again to our Patreon contributors for joining us on our audio risk check, Just Two Ticks and Chris A. You guys are awesome. Uh, Baird, it's that sad time. So I'll let you... So what we'll do is you say... Uh, I'll say, it's that sad time, and you say, all right, uh, you know, this is Baird, and then I'll say, this is Kaz, and you listen to her watch Thompson. And so, so when you're ready, just say, thanks, guys, for listening. This is Baird. All right, good deal. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, this is Baird. And this is Kaz. You have been listening to Two Broke Watch Snobs. Later. <laughs>